This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, okay, stop the music, Carlson, stop the music. Okay, everyone, I need to start the show right here. Okay, this is a ghost bear alert. Okay, Zach Wierenski, do you remember last year when Ghost Bear came in for the Flyers? He started making an impact right away. He was on the top power play, getting a ton of points. He was so great, and a lot of you probably regret not having grabbed him. Someone else got him. You missed him for the whole year, regretting it. This is happening again right now. Zach Wierenski, he's on the top power play in four games. He has two goals, three assists, three power play goals, 16 shots on goal. You have to grab Wierenski. Okay, bring the music back on. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski, and with me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. The question now is, are you on hashtag Team Wierenski? Elon, you just showed your cards. I've got a few to share as well. Give it to us. What do you think? Okay. Well, before we go into our opening spiel, all right, this is all out of order. You went off script. I'm thrown off. You talked about Ghost Bear and how like Wierenski is this year's Ghost Bear. And here's my issue with saying exactly that. I get where you're going, but I just, I just want to differentiate the two for a second because you look at ghost bear who had 22 of his 46 points come on the power play last year and that makes sense because the philadelphia power play they're pretty good right and once ghost bear arrived they actually were seventh in the league with a 20 percent success rate compared to columbus at 23rd in the league with a 16 percent success rate that translates to 16 more power play goals for philadelphia as a team which represents a difference in the amount of opportunity for anybody on the Columbus power play to rack up as many points as like Ghost Bear did, right? That's 16 fewer goals to get a point on. And Columbus just does not have anywhere near the same power play personnel. And the question I guess you could ask is say, well, Wierenski's there now. Does that transform the Columbus power play into a top unit all of a sudden? Like, does he make the difference between a 16% power play and a 20% power play? And I'm going to ask you the same question back in that can one guy, Zach Wierenski, a rookie, change Kim Atkinson, Nick Foligno, Brandon Saad, Alex Wenberg, Sam Gagne into power play stalwarts the same way Giroud, Voracek, and Simmons were in Philadelphia? And my answer is no. So I don't think there's going to be enough goals in Columbus to put up Ghost Bear-like numbers. However, Elon... I'm totally with you on your point that, you know, everybody says they're going to hold off drafting a defenseman or they have a deep sleeper on D. So they wait a long time to invest 
in their last defensive position because there's a guy coming up. Wierenski is the guy who's come up this year. I'm not convinced he's the last to come up this year, but he's definitely the first and absolutely worth an ad in any league right now. Yeah, I mean, just because I say he's this year's Ghost Bear doesn't mean I have to say he is Ghost Bear. Like, yeah, he's not on as great a team, but if there's a defenseman that you're going to regret not having added, if you don't do it ASAP, he's the guy. He's probably already added in your league, but if not, go ahead, grab him. Okay, we've got a big show for you tonight. So much content to go through. We're going to try to cover every important thing that happened in the past week, so we'll see how we do. We are, of course, presented by the best fantasy hockey website out there, DauberHockey.com. I've been checking out every day, basically, for line combinations, starting goalies, you need to check out, they have actually for the starting goalies, it's called Goalie Post, and you can subscribe to email notifications whenever there's news about a goalie starting or anything changing, which is really handy if you want to make a last minute change. Like yesterday, Sergei Bobrovsky was announced very late as having started. We saw some people on our Patreon Facebook group complaining that they didn't get Bobrovsky in in time, and then he ended up getting a shutout. So frustrating. That won't happen to you if you're set up on Goalie Post. Just an amazing site overall. So many useful tools. Goalie Post, Elon, was the first goalie start website that i ever knew of and that i ever started checking they're the original they still do a bang up job and again they have these email alerts so you can just sign up for free no problem there's nothing harming you to go ahead and do it for the goalies that you own or just all the goalies why not know about all the goalies (laughs) all right let's get started let's talk about goalies and let's start with the first fantasy hockey headline of the week some outjuries some players coming back after having missed the season or the start of the season and we have to start in montreal carry price finally played a game for the Habs after missing three games with the flu and after missing like almost all of last season he had such a hot start last year was amazing the year before he's finally back and guys he looks great in my opinion he's the top goalie in fantasy right now he instantly makes the Habs a threat to win most games that they play I know a lot of people think you know Carey Price is great for his rate stats like goals against average and save percentage but won't get you the wins that say someone like Holpe will get you Brian am I crazy to say I think that Price will get you a ton of wins just because of the fact that he's Carey Price he could win games on his own I love Carey Price there's not really much to say except for maybe you could like give this comparison of Price versus Holby. Who do you think is the better goalie to own? So far, Price has played two games, two wins, two goals against against Boston, two goals against against Arizona, 920 save percentage, everything I was hoping for. Well, Elon, I'm actually just going to throw a little wrench into your Carey Price bandwagon for a second and say maybe it's not Carey Price who's so good. Maybe it's the Montreal Canadiens because Al Montoya had a 962 save percentage over three games with the Habs, including overtime. So he even put in some extra time and still did well, a 1.30 goals against average. So, you know, what? maybe the Habs are just an easy team to play behind. Yeah, well, either way, that's good for no, Carey Price. Elon, what? Are you kidding me? Like, you're, you're going to let me? I think I think I lost you there. That's ridiculous. Carey Price is better than Al Montoya, Elon. And we saw what happens if Carey Price is gone for extended amounts of time. Last year with Mike Condon coming in, not being able to hold up the Habs while Carey Price was out. Carey Price is a team-transforming goalie. He is probably the only goalie in the league who can do that right now on a consistent basis. Sergei Bobrovsky, you already mentioned him, Elon, making a small case for that return to glory where he has carried a team before, but Carey Price is really far and away above Sergei Bobrovsky right now. We have the question, should I drop Almon Toya? Yes, absolutely. There's no reason to keep Almon Toya for Carey Price's next 60 starts. Yeah, obviously the Habs are going to ride Price as long as they can. Maybe Montoya gets a start every now and then. He seems like a really good spot start goalie. But yeah, Carey Price, all I'm saying is I think the Habs are good. 
like good enough and carry price is good enough to get a lot of wins so i think he shouldn't be underrated for the number of wins that he could give your team not only save percentage i didn't mean to say that montoya is better than price that'd be crazy let's go on to the next outjury i wanted to talk about Jaden schwartz had an early return from his elbow injury which is fantastic for people who drafted him thinking they'd have to wait like a month but no he came back you know what? He had an empty net assist yesterday. Nothing in his first game back. But he's on the top line with Steen and Tarasenko. Top power play. Actually, then Steen was moved to line one and Perron took his place yesterday on the line with Schwartz and Tarasenko. No big deal. Yesterday, Perron got a hat trick. So things are good for Jaden Schwartz. Don't even really need to talk about him. You know he's good. If you can grab him, obviously you can. You probably can't. How about David Perron, though? After doing nothing for his first five games... He had literally zero points in five games with St. Louis. Hat trick yesterday. What can we expect going forward for David Perron? Is he someone that people should be looking to add now that he's on this line? Because I think he was in the bottom six for a couple of games, especially that one game when Yakupov got into the top six against the Oilers. But he's back down. David Perron, Brian, yay or nay? You know, I always start my answers like a lot of the time I open with yeah. So you kind of froze me there because I didn't want to automatically endorse David Perron with just leading in to my own answer. Because I did want to just say, you know, it's not about Schwartz. Jaden Schwartz is back. You're right. He's good. He's 60 point pace. Good. What's more interesting about his return is what it means for everyone else. And yeah, let's start with Perron who only had eight shots on goal over his first five games played. Then he scored three times on six shots last night. And on top of that, his ice time was actually down last night. He played 16 minutes, which represented his lowest mark of the season. I could see him rotating in and out of that top spot. I mean, I like him for as long as he's there. Interestingly enough, a lot of people like him even more in hits leagues because he hits, obviously, Uh, but those hits aren't quite coming at the moment. I'm wondering if he's focused more on scoring just based on that one performance. So I think he's definitely somebody you should have ready to cycle into a spot if it works for your team schedule. Don't know that I'm dropping anyone for him just yet, unless I get the sense that he's going to stick around on that top line or in that top six for an extended period of time. Another guy who's looking good at St. Louis right now, Neil Yakupov. I'm so happy to bring up his name on the show in a positive way. He has four points in nine shots over six games played, and his on-ice performance is looking even better than his box score. If you saw his goal last night, or sorry, his assist last night, he beat Giordano at the Flames blue line, drew two defenders to him, and then dished to a wide-open Berglund at the goal mouth. And again, like Perron, uh, Yakupov's ice time was low last night. He only had nine and a half minutes of ice. So that's something to look out for. But the positive news may be a reason that he deserves more. He's generating shots at a rate per 60 that ranks third on the team behind Vladimir Tarasenko and Scotty Upshaw. So maybe that's the caveat. I don't know that I'd recommend Scotty Upshaw get a whole lot more ice time, but I'm curious to see what now Yakupov can get with it if his ice time rises to be, say, like 14 minutes on a consistent basis. That's a bit of a big ask right now. He's only played more than 12 minutes in half of the games so far this season. He spoon-fed Berglund that goal, and if I see him do that a few more times, I'd be less concerned about him playing outside the top six, though. So we're talking about who gets to play in that top six. If Yakupov can keep setting up amazing goal-scoring opportunities in, say, the top nine instead of the top six, I'm still happy with him for, like, 40, 45 points. But that's still a conservative estimate based on top nine ice time. And I'd like to see him get more ice before making a move on him. 
I don't think that's conservative, Brian. I think that's optimistic. 45 points for Neil Yakupov outside of the top six? I don't think so. You're taking Perron over Yakupov at this point, right? Yeah, I'm taking the guy who is playing in the top six. I'm just saying Yakupov is looking skilled. He's looking excited. Uh, watching St. Louis, watching him play on St. Louis has been a treat. It's not a lot of what we got to see from him on Edmonton. You know, there were flashes here and there, but it's nice to see some consistent play and with low ice time, like I feel like that's positive that he's making contributions in little ice time. And I feel like it's a baby step towards being a fantasy relevant player. Sure. Okay. I don't know. I'm going to respectfully disagree. I don't want to touch any guy that has such low ice time, but I guess he's someone to watch, I guess. Not too excited for me. You know what? Something that's interesting to me though on St. Louis is that top line of, or I guess you could call it the second line. I don't know. It's been Stasny, Fabry, and Steen on line one. But then Schwartz, Tarasenko, and Perron. Who's the center there? Has it been Jaden Schwartz? And if so, does that mean he's going to get center eligibility soon? That would be pretty exciting for a lot of people who like those dual eligibility guys. Something definitely to watch there. And also a lot of people have been talking about Fabry, like asking if they should drop him. I don't know. I wouldn't rush to drop him. He's still, you know, in the top six. He has three assists in six games. Maybe not everything you were hoping for after that amazing playoff run, but I'd hold on a little bit more. He's on the second power play. Obviously the first power play would be better, but I don't know. What did you really expect from Robbie Fabry? Probably not more than like 50 points, hopefully. Otherwise you were probably being too optimistic about him. Right now he's on more of a 48 point pace, I guess, 44 point pace. I think he'll be closer to 50. I think he'll do a little bit better. So it depends what you were expecting. Brian, should I just move on to a different team? Yeah, but three points in six games would equal 41 points over 82 games. That's a pretty easy one. Sorry. Sorry, man. I'm making a live show here, but yeah, I, I blew that. He, I think he could do better. Okay, let's go to Boston. Another outchery. Patrice Bergeron is back. He scored a goal in his first game back against New Jersey. Nothing against Montreal yesterday, but still, obviously, an, another guy just like Jaden Schwartz, maybe even better than Jaden Schwartz. You don't have to worry about Patrice Bergeron, especially because he's playing with the two hottest players in the league right now, or among the two hottest players, Brad Marchand, who now has nine points in five games. David Pasternak has seven points, so they've still been hot. Bacchus goes to the second line to play with Krejci. And in the last game, Spooner. And Spooner is a guy who was healthy scratched a game before. And we were getting a little worried, but now he came back yesterday, got a power play goal. So hopefully you didn't drop him too quickly and lose out on that goal from him. I'm not sure what's going to happen in Boston, but it looks like Spooner played well enough that he's going to stay not healthy scratched. Okay, not too bad. Are you uh, still okay on Spooner or are you down on him because of that one healthy scratch game? No, in fact, I think anybody who dropped him was moving a little too much in a reactionary way. We have Bergeron back. He's good. There's no doubt about that. And Spooner's back from his brief visit to Clojivian's doghouse. You know, he's still not as of time on ice, but he's playing with Krejci and Bacchus and getting second unit power play time. So that's a good enough sign that he's not, you know, banished to the bottom six for any long period of time. And he made most of it. Uh, Bacchus, by the way, just one point in four games since his three-point Bruins debut, though he's still hitting a lot and getting a ton of power play time. So I imagine some more points will come. Yeah, I think he's kind of like a guy like Fabry. Like, hopefully you didn't expect too much from him when you drafted him. If you expect him to be like a 50, maybe 55-point guy, I think he could get there. Hopefully you weren't expecting for anything more. And yeah, he gives you those hits. Maybe also some other peripherals. But yeah, David Backus, he'll be fine as long as you weren't expecting too much. Next, Audrey, I want to go to Arizona where Michael Stone is back. Obviously, maybe not to the same caliber, but it is interesting because it was Alex Goligoski getting that power play time with Oliver ekman Larson with Stone back. It seems like now they're just sharing it. Like there's Oliver ekman Larson is always on the power play. Sometimes he's with Goligoski. Sometimes he's with Stone. So I'm not sure if one person is going to jump out over the other. Like Brian, at this point, if let's say you have Goligoski and Stone is a free agent, would you make that swap? Who do you like better? 
and maybe also let's throw in Wierenski. Do we like both of these guys more than Wierenski? Because I know a lot of people were debating on our Facebook group about Stone or Goligoski versus Zach. Elon, I feel like this is the first of many times that you're going to throw Wierenski into the equation at the end of a question. So we'll get to him. I think it's more interesting first to talk about Michael Stone. And it's not quite Michael Stone versus Alex Goligoski. It's the effect of Alex Goligoski coming to Arizona and what that does to Michael Stone. Stone had a career-high 36 points last year, which was helped significantly by his career-high 15 power play points. And it's not surprising that he had a career-high in power play points. His previous career-high in power play minutes was 88. He played over 200 minutes with the man advantage last year, which is huge. So... Goligoski's arrival, though, uh, that power play time on the first unit with Eggman Larson is no longer a given for Stone. He had no other internal competition for it. And keep in mind that back before Stone was the de facto second defenseman on that top unit, he had 14 total power play points combined over two years, so less than that one-year total. And we don't know yet whether he or Goligoski gets more power play time on ice on that top unit we're still figuring out exactly how they're going to get played, but I would have stone more as like an optimistic 30 to 35 points than I would a 35 to 40 point guy this year. One reason why I'm having a hard time downgrading him even below 30 points is just because the team around him has improved. So he's got more help. And I also think playing with Golgoski at even strength, which he did in his first game back, that might help him pick up some points It also may lead to fewer peripherals, though, which is where his other value has been held beyond his power play point relevance. If you look at his second most frequent partner last year, Nicholas Grossman, Grossman had a negative effect on Stone's possession numbers, which, of course, is good for Stone in terms of collecting blocks and hits, as those numbers indicate that you're likely defending more often than you would be, you know, if you had a great defensive partner. So Goligoski is somebody who can actually make his teammates better, and that might affect Stone's ability to A, collect points, and B, collect peripherals. So I would be concerned if you're counting on Stone to, like, break out or repeat. I see Stone as a 30, 35-point guy. Really closer to 30 is what we should be looking at instead of, like, a sudden breakout all of a sudden, especially with more depth around him. Okay, well, so far in two games played, he has three hits and four blocks. So he's still giving some peripherals. If, if two blocks a game is okay for you, it's not bad. It's for sure. I think that's about what we can expect from a guy like Michael Stone. So hopefully he, he could at least keep that up. 30 points wouldn't be so bad. All right, I won't mention him every time. But for that question in the, the Facebook group about Stone versus Wierenski, you know the answer. Hashtag Team Wierenski. Okay. Next, let's go to, I guess not an outjury, but someone who started the season because he came back from suspension. We actually have a couple of these guys. One of them, Braden Shen on Philadelphia. And obviously he went right back to the top line with Giroux and Simmons. This is about a lot like the other guys we've talked about. We're going to get to some more people that are actually in your free agency and you have to think about. But, you know, got to give the news as they come up. Shen is back, top line, top power play, also with Voracek and Ghost. So everything is great for Braden Shen. He actually hasn't done anything yet for what it's worth in his like couple of games that he's played, but I'm not too worried about him. You would wonder who this knocked out. Raffle was in the top line playing with Giroux and Simmons. Actually, Raffle is injured now. He'll be out for a while, so that's a shame, but it's not like he was going to be relevant anyway because he was going to go down to the bottom six. So, okay, that's sort of the roundup of what's going on with Braden Shen. So much value, though, on the Flyers. Like, Voracek had two goals and assists yesterday. Did you get him, by the way, like we told you to? Like, in the preseason, we were saying he was ranked way too low on Yahoo and he'd be a great draft steal. I hope he did. He's doing fantastically. Voracek, Giroux, Ghost Bear, Simmons, Konechny, and even one more guy who I'm about to mention has currently a point-per-game pace going on Philadelphia. Who's that other guy you're asking? Matt Reed! Who? 
Matt Reed, five goals in five games played. Brian, what's going on with him? Is that sustainable or fleeting? It's most definitely fleeting. Matt Reed is a solid NHLer. He's been very serviceable uh, as a Philadelphia Flyer in the past. His career high is 47 points. That was in his rookie season back in 2011-2012. But he hasn't come really even close to that since that year. And also that was a year where he played, I think, the most offensive role that he has in his career. So I think he's probably a half point per game guy at best. It's been a very exciting start, definitely adding some depth to the team. However, I don't know that he's somebody you need to run out and grab right now. He's playing with Pierre-Edouard Belmer and Nick Cousins and not getting a whole lot of power play time. Although Belmer, I, I saw a really nice play with, between him and Reed, I believe. So maybe there's a little bit of talent, a little more than we give them credit for on that third line in Philadelphia. However, uh, no, I'm not rushing out to buy Matt Reed as soon as I can. I've probably got some guys on my roster, or even in free agency, who are a little more appealing in the long term. Although, if you're in a deep league and a half point per game guy is actually going to help you, then Matt Reed, I don't know, why not? You can just ride him and see how far he goes. I mean, he has five goals on 15 shots. So he's scoring on a third of his shots. 15 shots after five games is good, though. Uh, no assists, though, which is concerning because of his goals dry up. We're not sure that anybody else is going to help him continue scoring assists. Right. Okay. So yeah, obviously you don't want to go too big on a guy who's not in the top six. Same thing that I said about Yakupov applies to Matt Reed for me. But like I said, lots of value. Jeremy pointed out in the chat room here, Provorov is another guy who's doing great so far. I think he had a couple assists yesterday. So a lot of value in Philadelphia. And by the way, Philly plays five times next week. So if you want to pick up someone who's available, maybe like a Konechny is around. I don't know. Grab him. You get five games out of him. So even if he only gets a three points in five games, that's still like for a lot of players that are playing only three games, if they were to get three points, that would be an amazing week. So keep that in mind. If you have room for an ad, here's a guy who also just came back from suspension that Brian, I think you're going to like a lot more than Matt Reed, or maybe not because you used to not really like this guy. Let's talk about Tanner Pearson on LA. He had that huge run a couple of seasons ago. And Brian, you correctly called it as unsustainable you said everyone's rushing to grab tanner pearson sure pick him up and then trade sell high on him get someone really good back for him and yeah he ended up you know slowing down they ended up getting injured last year he was okay i guess but right now he's back and he is on another great run he's played three games has four goals and one assist he's not at the bottom six he's on line two on la with jeff carter and devin Sedaguchi who we talked about before. That's so exciting that he's even there. Sadaguchi and Carter make pretty decent line mates for Pearson, especially Jeff Carter. Top line, by the way, is Kopitar, Toffoli, and Dwight King. So Dwight King may be also someone to look at, but forget about him because he's not doing anything. It's Tanner Pearson that's putting up all of these points. Like I said, five points in three games. Is he a must-add at this point, or is he still someone who you think his success is not going to be sustainable? We are two years removed from the dawn of Tanner Pearson mania, and during Tanner Pearson mania, it wasn't even like that great in retrospect. He had seven goals in his first 11 games. That was really exciting. And then he only had two assists in that same bunch. And then he immediately went back to being a sub half point per game player. So Tanner Pearson did not reach those heights. I remember Elon, that was one of the first guys of the year, or even like probably the most intense guy that we had all year. And I think maybe even since where everybody was just trying to trade for him. Super excited, I guess. You know, he had a reputation having been on Team Canada. Anyway, the thing that Tanner Pearson has going for him this year is that he's his team's, like, only 
real solid option on a very thin left side. Yeah, Dwight King is there, uh, but I don't think he's got the same upside that Tanner Pearson does. So Tanner Pearson is all but guaranteed to either have Kopitar or Carter as his center. I also think we still need to temper our excitement this time. Four goals on 10 shots to start the year. 10 shots at this point, you know, I'd love for him to have a couple more if I'm being greedy about it. And I would also prefer that he ends up with Kopitar. Last year when he played with Kopitar, he was much better compared to when he played with anyone else. His second most common centerman last year, Trevor Lewis. So that didn't go that well, but neither did his time with Jeff Carter, although he only played about 10 games worth of ice time alongside Carter. So what I want from him to decide to buy in and make a move on Tanner Pearson is if I see him still taking a few shots per game, like I want three on average. And if he can keep that up, even if the goals do dry up a little bit, that at least tells me he's involved in his team's offense. And I would like that to happen before I get overly excited and recreate the Tanner Pearson mania of 2014-15. Okay, that's fair. So I just want to keep like a running tab like of like who's the top guy as we go through. So maybe uh, comparing David Perron to Tanner Pearson, who would you be more excited to add if you could have one of them? I would add David Perron for sure. Hmm. A lot more depth in that St. Louis top six because Tanner Pearson, you know, even if he does stick on the second line with Jeff Carter, Devin Setaguchi is the third piece on that line. And, you know, we've talked about how we're super happy that Setaguchi is back in the league, but he's not necessarily the Devin Setaguchi that's going to score a ton of goals and generate a ton of offense. There have been some moments already, which is promising. However, right now I look at that line and I see Jeff Carter as the one guy who can generate offense. Tanner Pearson is a decent complimentary player. And Devin Setaguchi is a kind of unknown, maybe a little slower, maybe a little less capable option, you know, especially when you compare to Tyler Toffoli, who's up there on the top line with Kopitar. Yeah, I don't know. I think I might actually disagree with you. Like, David Perron also only had that hat trick. Aside from that, he had no points. But I guess he wasn't necessarily playing with Tarasenko. So I guess, yeah, we'll have to see maybe another week of seeing both of them in their situations. We might both change our minds. I think it's close. I actually would go Tanner Pearson, but I don't think it makes that much of a difference. I'm saying if they both stay in the top six, Perron is my favorite. You think that Tanner Pearson, like you would rather have Tanner Pearson with Jeff Carter than you would David Perron with Schwartz and Tarasenko? Mm, Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm being weird. Like he just had, for what you could call it, it's been three games played, but he's had more consistent success in those three games. (laughs) So I don't know. I guess I'd like to see another good game, uh, you know, not against Calgary from David Perron before I could really buy into him being a real offensive threat in fantasy. I don't know. Tweet at us at Kevin Carlson. Let us know your pick in the Pearson Perron debate moving forward, though. I'll go with your choice of Perron, and that's the guy I'll compare to as we talk about other guys. But that's it for outjuries and suspension returns. How about we switch now to some injuries? Ah, it happens every week. I don't even have to do this intro about injuries because we know there's going to be injuries every week. This week has been no exception. We'll start with a couple of goalies. Mike Smith on Arizona. He's on the IR. He's going to be out apparently for weeks. He was seen wearing a knee brace. Not good for him. You know, very much reminiscent of last year when basically the same thing happened. I don't recall if it was a knee injury or not, but Mike Smith went down for a while. And we all remember how that opened the door for Louis Demang to get called up. And he had a really nice run. He kind of petered off at the end, but he was really playing like all those games. Maybe we were willing to give him a pass. This year, he's come up. He's played three games, three losses, including getting pulled against the Habs for Justin Peters. Demang has a 625 goals against average and an 836 save percentage. So not good at all. For Demang, he's playing today. 
against the Rangers, and Arizona's losing 2-1, to one, so I can't imagine Domingue is doing that well yet. So yeah, it hasn't been a nice start for him, but Mike Smith is going to be out for a while, and Justin Peters, like I said, is the backup. How valuable is a Louis Domingue at this point? Like, Do you think he could bounce back and be a valuable guy that you have to run and grab if he's in free agency because he's a starting goalie on a, I don't know, not a good team, but like an okay team? Is there any chance that Peters steals starts, or will it at least be Domingue's net, and he'll give you a lot of saves and, and starts if those are categories? What are your thoughts on him? at this point, if he's a free agent in your league. Well, you were certainly right about Louis Domingue petering off, especially in the game that he was replaced by Justin Peters, who rues the years during which he could not take the starter's job from Cam Ward. I actually drafted him one year, like this is maybe five years ago now, expecting that he was going to challenge Cam Ward for the starting position. Of course, some things never change because I'm still drafting the guys who I think are going to challenge Cam Ward for the starter's position. I actually think that was the year that the Canes had many legacy end up as their backup goalie too, because Ward got injured. Speaking of how hard it has been to replace Ward, I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but did you know that Cam Ward has played 68 games or more in a single season four times? And it would have been five times if not for an injury. Elon, the only other goalies to have played that many games for that many years over the last decade and a bit. Mika Kiprasov, Jonathan Quick, Roberto Luongo, Henrik Lundqvist, Martin Brodeur, so many really great goalies, and Cam Ward. But anyways, Justin Peters has been an AHL tandem guy and backup for the better part of the last six, seven years, and he has not had very good numbers in the AHL or in the brief NHL stints that he's seen. So I think if you're looking for Arizona's goalie, uh, just keep going with Demang. Uh, maybe Peters steps in to spell Demang or something, but I, I don't see him stealing starts outside of a weird and short aberrational run. So unless the Coyotes bring in outside help, you've got Louis Demang playing on a better team with a stronger defense core than they had in the past, a stronger offensive core than they have had in the past. So Domingue, it would be nice to see him play league average. I'm not convinced he can do quite that well yet. Okay, yeah, definitely he hasn't inspired much confidence. If he's available for you, and you can maybe pick him up for a spot start. If like something is looking tempting next week, maybe you can. And if he does well, you could hold him for a couple more games. I know we have a patron in the Cacupfold, Keaton Carlson Ultimate Patron, Fantrax League. Dave is in the chat room right now. He drafted Mike Smith, then bid big with the fab budget to get Demangue once Smith got injured. And so far, it definitely hasn't worked out for him. But I'm hoping for Dave, even though he's in my league, I hope that this works out for him because that's obviously very bad luck. All right, another goalie injury. Another goalie injury from a goalie that is not maybe very good. And I guess maybe that's not fair to Mike Smith, but Jeff Zatkoff, oh my God, L.A., What's going on? Not that this is really such bad news, right? Because we talked about Jonathan Quick getting injured last week. Now Zadkoff, who was the backup that was coming in, he's out with a lower body injury. But like this guy, he had an 839 save percentage in three games. It's not like he was going to be the guy to get many more games. Anyways, as far as I could tell, Peter Budai now becomes the number one goalie. And this is someone who is like holding his own, I guess. He got called up from the AHL. Apparently, he was the AHL goalie of the year last year, Brian. Is that true? I saw that on Twitter. But so far, he's got two straight wins, only an 889 save percentage, though. Jack Campbell has been called up. Is it Budai's net? Do we think Campbell is going to steal starts? Or is it just a matter of waiting for LA to trade for an actual good goalie that they could depend on until Quick comes back? Well, you're right. Last year in the AHL, Peter Budai playing for the Ontario Reign, formerly named the Manchester Monarchs, won the Baz Bastion Memorial Award and the Harry Hap Holmes Memorial Awards, both for being, well, the top goalie in the league and the part of the goalie tandem or the goalie who played the most minutes on the team that gave up the fewest goals. 
I don't know that that translates to NHL success for him, though. He's had enough chances between Colorado and Montreal and probably somewhere else. I'm forgetting what I'm most interested in L.A. right now is that cough is out for any extended period of time and they don't look for outside help. I would love to see if Jack Campbell can do anything. That's a bit of a blast from the past. He was the 11th overall pick in 2010, two-time world junior hero for the Americans, blue chip goalie prospect who ended up playing with the Idaho Steelheads in the East Coast Hockey League for the last couple seasons after the Stars organization finally had other people surpass him on their own depth chart. He signed with LA for two years this offseason for what was expected to be, I imagine, a minor league role. Maybe they still saw some upside as a reclamation project. Well, here's an excellent opportunity to test that out. Why not? Jeff Zatkoff, even if it was Zatkoff in net, like I would still scratch Zatkoff, scratch Budai and give Campbell a start because I feel like they're both prone to blowing up and, you know, losing the game for their team anyway. So why not see what Jack Campbell can do at this point? That's what I'm rooting for. In the meantime, Budai is a subpar NHL starter. We'll see if he can get some of that AHL magic going, but I'm not rushing to make a move. I think all this does is intensify LA's necessary search for some outside help before Quick gets back. All right. Well, so at least Brian is saying maybe you could grab Jack Campbell once he's announced to get that next start and see how it goes. I was reading actually on Roto World just today about how apparently Winnipeg is really pushing, trying to convince LA to take Pavlik off of their hands, but they haven't been successful in doing that yet. But that would obviously be interesting. They should probably get them to listen to Keeping Carlson because Brian, you were saying some nice things about Pavlik a couple of weeks ago. So maybe if the LA management listens, maybe that will convince them to go and make that move. Also, Dave here in the chat is saying they should just trade for Flurry. Sure. That would be a good move. I don't know why Pittsburgh would do that. Well, obviously, I do know why. There's the whole idea of that they're going to have the expansion and they might lose him or whatever. He's going to be free agent. But, I mean, Pittsburgh wants to win a cup. I don't see why they would trade a really good goalie when they don't. When the other backup then would be Mike Condon, which wouldn't be a very good situation. And then, yeah, you have so an unproven rookie in Matt Murray uh, who would have really the net. There's no other option left in Pittsburgh once Fleury's gone. And L.A. would probably have to protect you know, quick. They would lose Flurry for nothing at the end of the year. He'd be good for them for two months. I don't know unless they could parlay him for more. Maybe maybe we're, we're blue sky in here. It would be nice to find Flurry a home so the speculation could end. Right now, I'm enjoying him in Pittsburgh. All right. So another injury I'll mention, Patrick Sharp is out with concussion-like symptoms. I was actually going to bring him up this week, Brian, as a snoozer. He only had one assist in four games, and a lot of people were getting concerned with how highly they may have drafted Patrick Sharp. But anyways, he's on IR now, so you could just stash him and worry about him later. Yuri Hoodler is also out, and he's another guy I would have maybe brought up as a snoozer because he had zero points in two games before getting injured. Patrick Eves was on the top line and doing okay, but now he's out with a lower body injury. Alex Hemsky was scheduled to be on the top line last night with Sagan and Ben, but he didn't even last the whole game. Dallas got shut out by Columbus, which is insane, by the way, that that happened. Of course, when my opponent has Sergei Bobrovsky, and I'm excited for him to get blown up by Dallas, but I guess that's not going to happen when everyone's injured. Then Brett Ritchie got a shot on the top line. I'm sure this will change again, since, like I said, they couldn't score a goal against Columbus. So who knows what's going to happen with Dallas? Usually you want to grab the guy who's going to be on the top line with Sagan and Ben, but like, Who's it going to be? Is it going to last? Probably not. I think I would stay away with, from any Dallas forward that's not named Ben, Sagan, or Jason Spezza. I agree with you. I don't know who else has a whole lot of value in Dallas that you can rely on anyway. Uh, you know, let's see Hemsky on that top line. Let's see Richie on that top line too. 
And, you know, then we'll take it from there. There's nobody I'm really buying into right away, although I really am hopeful that Hemsky can do something. The name that I will put out, he's been playing with Spezza for the last little while, Radic Faxta, who was a rookie last year and looks good in the playoffs. I think he scored the playoff opening goal for Dallas in the playoffs last year. Uh, I enjoy him as a hockey player, and I think he could have some skill to show off. So if you're looking for like a deep ad uh, and you are a Dallas Stars fan, then I think as long as he's playing with Jason Spezza, there's great offensive opportunity or greater offensive opportunity for Radic Faxa. Okay, we'll see. Obviously not someone to rush for. I'm not even going to ask you to compare him to, I guess, our current leader in David Perron of potential free agents to add. But sure, someone to watch. Next injury. Okay, last injury, because I don't want to talk about injuries anymore. And this isn't too serious, hopefully, hopefully. But on Pittsburgh, they had this horrible night where both Chris Letang on Connor Shuri went down. But apparently they're both going to be out short term. So maybe nothing to worry about with them. And obviously Chris Letang is the big worry there because he's someone that a lot of people bid big on or drafted very early, hoping he'll be their top defenseman. So hopefully, you know, come back soon. Chris Letang, Derek Pouliot is going to be out long term on Pittsburgh. And obviously we still know that Sidney Crosby is injured. So they're having a rough time. Surprisingly, it's been Justin Schultz on the top power play and not Trevor Daly, who's the one I thought would get the shot with Chris Letang out. You know, in Pittsburgh, yeah, they're really hurting. They lost 5-1 to Nashville yesterday. And this was a Nashville team with a bunch of players sick with food poisoning, but somehow Pittsburgh could only score one goal against them. Flurry was actually pulled for Mike Condon. Brian, is it even worth grabbing Justin Schultz right now while Chris Letang is out because he's getting this power play time or is he probably not going to do anything just like he hasn't so far? So remember in the off season where I may or may not have forgotten to mention that Trevor Daly was still in Pittsburgh, but I was really pumping up Justin Schultz as maybe an heir apparent on the power play when he re-upped with Pittsburgh. Uh, So it's exciting to see that he is getting prime power play time with Letang out. Six minutes of power play time on ice against San Jose. Yeah, but that power play is not quite clicking yet. I think they'll get there. I think everything's going to be okay. I don't know when Latang is back. I feel like he could be day-to-day for weeks, if not months, which would be really awful oh. considering like I drafted him in a league where I had four players injured right off the bat. Anyway, that's that's too personal. Uh, you don't need to know how sad I am about it, although I'm sure a lot of people are. Anybody who adjusts their draft rankings to reflect 82 games played, like a lot of projections will try and guess how many players a game is likely to play. And I know, Elon, you and I, we both like to sort of even that out and make the decision ourselves. Like, know if the guy is injury prone, but not dock him points because of it. So we look at their 82 game pace. Latang was so high up on anyone's list who went with the 82 game pace. And now, uh, now we're feeling the hurt for having done that. So in the meantime, Justin Schultz, first power play unit, QBing it in Pittsburgh is a great place to be. I don't know that he's like a terribly capable person in that role like I don't think he's going to suddenly create a lot of offense more offense than Latang could have but still worth a look if you're looking for a d-man at this point he's no Zach Wierenski that's for sure <laughs> I wasn't gonna bring him up I'm not gonna say Schultz or Wierenski that would be an insane question to ask in the chat Jeremy's asking does Oli Mata suck I know that's like an old keeping Carlson trope where we ask if a player sucks hopefully they'll get better but by the way Oli Mata not great I mean, we're not even bringing him up in this conversation. He's averaging 14 and a half minutes a game so far. No points in six games. I don't even want to talk about Oli Mata. Maybe he's a disappointment compared to what people were expecting from him a couple of years ago. In fantasy hockey, he doesn't Oli Mata. <laughs> oh, that was so bad. Sorry. All right. Sorry. Brian, how about before we get on to a bunch of players on hot streaks, then we're going to do a bunch of players on cold streaks. Oh, man, we have a lot of players I want to talk about. I want to quickly, though, thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson, the fine people who support our podcast. And 
you know, like we just really appreciate it. We want to let you know we don't have sponsors. You guys are the ones that are helping us to keep the show on the air. We're so excited to do it. And we're so excited also to talk to you every week in the Facebook group. If you are interested in becoming a patron, you get to join this Facebook group where we're talking fantasy hockey all the time, sharing news, giving advice to each other. It's a lot of fun. Also, we have a patron cast coming this Tuesday. So that's an episode just like this, except you get to be the ones making the content. I get to take a break from preparing all last night to prepare the outline for the show. We'll just sit there and we're going to answer all your questions. We'll stop when your questions run out. So that's always a lot of fun. That's going to be this Tuesday. So it's not too late for you to sign up to become a patron. Keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Yeah, if you're listening to this and it has ever provided you something of value, know that a lot of work has gone into it. And if you would like to thank us for it in some marginal, nominal way, uh, flip a buck and a quarter to us for each episode by becoming a patron. And not only will you continue receiving the podcast for free, you'll get the extra episodes, you'll get all the perks that come with it. And of course, you'll get our endless appreciation and gratitude. So keepingcarlson.com slash patron. If you enjoy the show, even just just go take a look. If you've never considered it before, if you've heard us make this pitch, just go to the website and then maybe think about it from there. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, and thanks to the ones who have signed up, of course. Yeah, we definitely really thank you. Okay, Brian, let's get on to now some players on hot streaks. I want to go right to Chicago because if anyone was worried about Kane and Artemi Panarin, you know, not having the hottest of starts, like they're definitely happy now because Kane, Panarin, and of course, Artem Anisimov coming along for the ride. They've been going nuts lately. Kane and Panarin each with five points in their last three games. Anisimov with seven, seven points in three games for a guy who's probably a free agent in your league. But I don't even know, is he the most likely person that you should add as a free agent in your league from Chicago? Because there's another guy there, Richard Panic, who's currently leading the NHL in goals with six goals. So there's a lot of offense happening right now in Chicago. Obviously, Kane and Panarin are not available to you, but Anisimov and Panic are. Are either of these a must-add, Brian? And if so, like which one? I guess you're kind of getting different things. Panic also gives you hits. Anisimov is a center playing maybe on a better line, but Panic's playing with Jonathan Taves, so not so bad. Anyways, I don't know. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on both of these guys. My thoughts are pretty simple. I don't expect a whole lot from them for the whole season. Like Panic, I actually could be really valuable to you for as long as this run lasts because of his winger eligibility and his hits. But key part of that phrase, as long as this run lasts, Anisimov and Panic both have on-night shooting percentages above 17%, which is like double what it should be. So, I mean, it, it's uh, obvious and I'm going to say it and I feel like I'm trying to sound smart by saying it, but I'm not. Expect regression for both. Add them if you want to ride them while the magic lasts, but I can show you that it is not going to be a season-long affair. I would argue that it's not even going to be a 15-20 game long affair. And Isimov is the one I'm sure who's not going to continue. Panic, this is a bit more intrigue because this is the first time he's played in this kind of role for a sustained period of time. However, I'm still not totally sold on him yet, but I'm keeping at least a little bit of a more open mind on him continuing something, not like the insane pace he's on now, though, like maybe a 45, 50 point pace. Yeah, I mean, he is leading the NHL with six goals, like I said, on only nine shots. So obviously that is not sustainable. Second place, we've got Austin Matthews and Matt Reed tied each with five goals. What's going on? Am I only sorting by like players available in my league? I'm starting to, no, this is all people. I don't what a weird thing. But yeah, Austin Matthews at least has 22 shots for his five goals compared to Richard Panic's nine. Brian, okay. Oh, by the way, Brian Campbell had three assists yesterday for Chicago. So that's fun. A little blast from the past, Brian Campbell. By the way, he's also someone who I wouldn't rush to grab. Duncan Keith is doing fantastically as their top defenseman. He has six points in six games. Even Brent Seabrook is doing really well. So Brian Campbell's way down the depth chart. But nice to see him get some points. 
And interestingly enough, a couple of those points came in very key situations. I know at least one of them came as Chicago was storming back to tie the game in the dying minute or two. So uh, interesting to see that Brian Campbell was out there at that moment. I don't know how intentional it was, but he was there and he did something. So that's good news for him. But remember, he had a ton of opportunity in Florida last year to put up points. Did not quite capitalize. I think he might be more valuable as just like a reliable top four guy on defense right now than he is an offensive producer. All right. So are we still at David Perron as the top free agent of all the people we've been talking about so far? Well, you think it's Tanner Pearson. No, but we're going with your opinion. Let's say that even if Ferran and Pearson are even, does Panic or Anisimov overtake them? No. Panic okay. maybe comes close because there's, you know, so much heat and hype around him. You might as well just go for him. I imagine you can still get Perron in a few nights. All right. So then, cool. Let's move on to another guy who, if he's still available, I feel like now maybe he's going to be the top guy. We talked about him last week, but Jonathan Marcheseau still chugging along in Florida. Now he's leading Florida in scoring. He had a goal and an assist yesterday, seven points overall in five games. Last week, you already said that you should add Marcheseau because he's on the top line, top power play and doing well. So I assume your opinion hasn't changed. Has it intensified? Like, do people now have to, have to, have to add Marcheseau if he's available? Yeah. You know, if I have jumped on board with one of these guys who are unproven if I add them within the first week of the season I feel like I'm usually the last one to get around to it the most stubborn the guy who's like you know I drafted Yuri Hoodler and I'm gonna stick with Yuri Hoodler over Jonathan Marcheseau uh, I didn't I dropped Hoodler added Marcheseau and am reaping the rewards nightly when Florida plays so absolutely should be added in any league and I feel like we've mentioned this Elon for the last two weeks where's his left wing eligibility Come on, some updates have already been made on some platforms like ESPN, Yahoo, and Fantrax. But on the ones I play on, he's still center only. Let's fix that. Yeah, it, it's got to come soon, right? He's definitely not a center. Barkov is doing just fine as a center on that line. He has five points in five games. So definitely, it's not as if he's been left in the dust by Marshall. So Marshall's benefiting from this great centerman. So yeah, give him the left wing eligibility. Come on. Okay, next, let's go to Detroit. Mike Green had a hat-trick last Sunday against Ottawa, and now he has seven points in six games overall. Brian, my question to you, is the old Mike Green back? The Mike Green who had like 70 points back in Washington? I hate to be the bearer of bad news, although this is not news. I hate to be the repeater of things you should already know. The old Mike Green, he's gone forever as far as I'm concerned. It's really nice to see him start this way. You know, I did take another gamble on him in a couple leagues this year after last year's Super disappointing 35-point campaign where he was on the power play, off the power play, getting minutes, not getting minutes. So owning him and seeing him score three goals on seven shots to start the year, very happy about that. I definitely don't mind the way he's been collecting assists either. It's also really interesting. It seems as though Detroit, at least for the moment, is going with four forwards and one defenseman. That's great news for Mike Green. What you're going to want to be watching for is what happens when Nicholas Cronwall is healthy again and in the lineup. And you're going to be praying that Mike Green stays exactly where he is in a four forward, one defenseman power play setup. And that Detroit doesn't replace him with Cronwall in that setup or go back to the three forwards into defenseman setup where Cronwall was able to put up as many points as Green. I think Green shines in this sort of situation. And I'm really hoping if he stays there, 
I think he can touch 45, which is something we haven't said about Mike Green for a few years now. Well, Brian, let me give you a reason to be optimistic that he will stay there. Detroit, like you said, has been playing four forwards and one defenseman on the top power play, but they've been doing that also on the second power play. And I don't really think they have like two different power plays. Like one of them is Helm, Larkin, Nyquist, and Sheehan. And the other is Nielsen, Tatar, Vanek, and Zetterberg. And they both seem to be getting the exact amount of time. So I feel like whichever one Mike Green is on, he's probably going to get the same amount of time playing with decent forwards so maybe he can keep this up even with Cronwall coming back it was in the last game Ryan Spruill getting the other chunk of power play time on that second unit I guess so Mike Green actually it looks like he was on for both units for a lot of it so obviously he's better maybe Cronwall now will eat into some of that so you're right maybe there's some reason to expect Mike Green to regress a little with Cronwall back but yeah it's good it's good so far and also speaking of some of these Detroit guys gotta mention Gustav Nyquist he's got three goals and one assist in his last two games seven points in six games overall he's someone who we were so excited about two seasons ago sort of fell off our radars a bit last year but looking good so far maybe he's someone that I don't know if he's gonna be available in your league but if he is you might want to pick him up here in like a shallow league and also Thomas Vanek still looking good maybe I'll just keep giving updates on Thomas Vanek until he slows down but he's up to seven points in six games so good for him yeah if he's still a free agent I would also feel free to go and add him ahead of any of the other guys we've spoken about. Not necessarily because it's more sustainable, but he seems to be thriving. I'm looking forward to seeing a hopefully re-energized Vonick over the course of the year, not someone who's going to repeat the numbers that he had in his early, most fruitful years, but maybe he can do a little more. Like, I like him more than a guy like Panic because, you know, he's shown some real scoring acumen before, whereas Panic, this is the first we're seeing of it. All right, so I guess now we've got Marcia So as the number one in this arbitrary list I'm coming up with of guys who I think could be available in your leagues. Marcia So versus Vanek, who do you take there? Marcia So, no uh, doubt. Like, Marcia So is not even in the discussion as far as I'm concerned because he, Elon, I don't know if you can bring out, like, his owned percentage numbers, but it must be. Like, if, it must be of all active pools, he's got to be owned in 100% or, like, 99% of them. Even in, like, shallower formats, he is somebody that you need to have right now. Man, that's crazy that you're saying that. Well, I'm seeing he's actually only 56% owned in fan tracks. I'm sure it's similar numbers for Yahoo and ESPN. So, no, people are, you know, shy about him because he's not a known name. So, you can still get him. Brian is clearly very into this guy, but maybe here's someone that I could tell you that you might say is better than Marsha. So I don't know, but I think we're getting into higher caliber names here. A bunch of Carolina guys have started on hot streaks. Some of them I think must be available in your league. Like the top line of Stempniak, Rask, and Skinner all have six points in five games, believe it or not. So a great start for all three of those guys. This is the line one. A lot of people were excited about Elias Lindholm and Tara Vinen and Aho, and they're doing pretty good, but they're the second line, right? Like Stemniak, Rask, and Skinner are the top guys. Aho, sure, has five points, five assists in five games. But like I picked up recently in the Kakupful, Victor Rask, and he's just been fantastic. Like I said, he just keeps on putting up a point every single game. I kind of wanted to ask you who you want the most of these guys, Stemniak, Rask, and Skinner. Also, by the way, Lee Stemniak, how much longer can we ignore him? I feel like it's he was so great last year, and now he's been great this year. He He's a solid fantasy contributor. So I guess I want to hear your thoughts on him and Rask, and then I guess compare these guys to Marcia So. Yeah, Skinner, Stemniak, and Rask, they're all leading Kane's forwards with less than 15 minutes of time on ice per game. No other Carolina forward has more than 12 and a half minutes of ice time per game. It's all very evenly distributed. Everything's by committee in Carolina right now, which makes sense given the very horizontal landscape of their depth chart. Elon, you mentioned Lindholm, Aho, and Tara Vinen. They're actually ranging like from the low end, nine and a half minutes per game for Tara Vinen, high end Lindholm with 11 and a half minutes per game. They're actually 
the third line in terms of ice time. But that group actually leads the team in average power play time on ice. So it's like they have an entire line of power play specialists in Carolina. So if you're looking for power play points, you might actually prioritize them over Skinner, Stempniak, and Rask. I don't know. Rask is doing great. I'm happy to have him. I could drop Rask for one of those second line guys, but I'm happy with him. Yeah, I mean, like if Carolina has only two power plays per game, then you're not getting a ton of mileage out of Lindholm, Allen, Teravainen, and the other three top liners in Carolina still see power play time. They're just not seeing quite as much. You know, I'm speaking so much about ice time in Carolina. That's just what it comes down to here. But at the end of the day, Elon, I think you're right. Stepniak's dependable. Skinner's looking good. Again, he's in a five-way tie for eighth in the NHL with 21 shots on goal. And then Victor Rask is also there on the top line. Has been quietly one of the more scory Carolina Hurricanes in the last <laughs> couple of years. I, my vocabulary just went blank there. So I'd actually look to those three before I look to the power play guys. So what you're doing, though, is you're skipping over Jordan Stahl, uh, to Giuseppe and Joachim Nordstrom, who are on, you know, the quote unquote second line or maybe the third line, the checking line. But they're seeing as a trio the second most ice time on the team. Yeah, well, maybe they're just going on for defensive situations. We could clearly see where the offense is coming from. I like this word scory. Here's another guy who's been pretty scory so far. I wanted to mention Alex Killorn. He scored a game against Ottawa yesterday. He now has four goals and one assist in five games played. And he's a guy who's been like in the top six on Tampa Bay forever. And it's been so tantalizing to always want to grab him because he always seems to be playing with good players, but he never seems to put up much offense aside from a couple of games here and there. But you know what? He's doing well now, and he's on a good line. Like The lines have been shaking up a lot in Tampa. He had been on a line with Johnson and Kucherov, but yesterday it looks like it got switched, and it was Stamkos, Nemesnikov, and Kucherov, and then Palat, Johnson, and Druin, and then Killorn, Point, and Filpula, which actually, now that I'm seeing, that's not good for Killorn. I guess he was off that line, so maybe is that a sign that he's going to slow down? But I I still think the lines are going to shift around again. So just what's your general thought on Killorn at this point? You normally don't add him because you're always concerned about him. Do you feel the same, even though he's had some offense? Yeah, I think the sign that you're seeing is that he's going to continue bouncing around the lineup as he has for the last several years in Tampa. Alex Killorn is probably... I would probably rank him as one of the guys I've added and dropped the most in fantasy over the last four or five years. And so I'm always reluctant to pick him up. Actually, in fact, this year, I've already picked him up and dropped him in one of my leagues. He's not going to continue scoring at a point-per-game pace, but if you're looking for a half-point-per-game contributor who might have some spurts because of great opportunities on the top line and even on the top power play, then you can look to him for some temporary help but I wouldn't look to him as a long-term solution with like crazy upside. All right, so where are we in this list? Anyways, Killorn is obviously not beating Marcheseau. Is he beating... Who do we have after Marcheseau at this point? Is it is it Rask or Skinner or Stemniak? Well, Skinner's not available. You know, and I'd put any of those three Hurricanes over David Perron. Okay. So I would put Killorn below the three Hurricanes. We're going to call them all even because every Carolina... They should just play without numbers and names on the back of their sweaters <laughs> at this point. Okay, well, Skinner's probably not available. Let's just say Victor Rask. So right now you've got Marcia So and then Victor Rask and then Killorn behind them. Okay, how about we go to a couple of goalies on hot streaks? We have to mention Jimmy Howard on Detroit. He shut out San Jose yesterday. Also beat the Rangers 2-1 in his other start he's had this season. That gives him a 984 save percentage in two games. And Peter Morazic, you know, he's been average or less than average. A 912 save percentage in his four games. So obviously the big question now is what's going to happen in Detroit? Will Howard start getting more starts? Could he and Morazic split starts like they were doing at the beginning of last year before Morazic stole the job? Like, has Mrazek lost the job? Should people grab Jimmy Howard ASAP? Brian, help us. 
Did you say his save percentage, Elon? I did. 984. How about that? Yeah. And and Mrazek, you obviously said, was lower. Uh, no, no, Jimmy Howard is not about, you know, I, I have to stop myself because I don't know what Detroit's doing all the time, especially lately. Some of the decisions they've been making are curious. So, you know, if there's like five teams in the league that might anoint Jimmy Howard as their starter over Peter Mrazek, I would argue that Detroit might be one of them. But this is really just an early quirk. Uh, Jimmy Howard is not going to suddenly be back and doing his what we hoped to see from him for his career. I've been holding my breath for him. Even as recently going into this last season, I'm done waiting. Peter Morazic has proven himself by, you know, rote save percentage and adjusted goals saved above average to be the better goalie. And it's only a matter of time before that starts showing up in the numbers on a consistent basis. Maybe Howard steals more starts than he would have otherwise. But I think if you're looking to figure out which Red Wings starter is going to play more than half the games this year, it still has to be Peter Mrazek. Sure, but for a lot of people, Mrazek's not available to them. Howard might be one of the top goalies in free agency for them, and I do think he's going to get another look soon. They're not going to leave a guy who's on such a hot streak on the bench. So if you need goaltending help the next couple of weeks, I think you could do a lot worse. I'm not sure how much worse you could do. It depends on the options available. Like Detroit is not... They've gotten into a great start. You know, I had them missing the playoffs and having a pretty awful year. So far, they're proving me wrong, just like Vancouver and Edmonton are proving everybody wrong as well. Just saying, small sample size to start the year. Uh, Detroit also has a pretty weak defense as well. So, you know, Jimmy Howard is going to have to stand on his head to be able to collect wins and, you know, be able to put up great numbers because there's not going to be a ton of help in front of him. And I just don't think he can do that. So, If you're going to add Jimmy Howard, be prepared for him to blow up your numbers. You know, it's kind of funny here because I'm seeing in the chat room, people are still calling you out from when you mentioned that you would put Peter Morazic in your tier five during Schmore Goliesborg. And like, I feel like you were right so far, right? He hasn't been that great. Detroit has shown to be not a great team. And Jimmy Howard is making maybe a little bit of a surge as a backup goalie. So I think you were totally right on that. People need to not uh, be so hard on you. I think that was maybe a really awesome call. And we're going to come back at the end of the year and see that Mrazek really belonged with the other goalies that you had in Tier 5. So anyways, I'm going to defend you. You people in the chat room, you watch out. Don't you insult my friend Brian. He's doing fantastically. But you know what? One place he didn't do fantastically was in his cuckupful draft because he drafted the wrong Dallas goaltender, it looks like, because he drafted Antti Niemi instead of Kari Lettinen. But it looks like Lettinen has won the job, at least in the short term. Lettinen's played four straight games now. He has a 924 save percentage. I don't know when Niemi's going to play again. He's going to play again as soon as Lettinen has a terrible game, which is just bound to happen. It's it's saying something that it's been impressive that Kerry Lettinen has had quality starts in two of his three starts so far this year because he's been below league average in quality starts for the last couple of years. Like usually half his starts are quality or even lower than that, like 45%. And I don't expect that to change all of a sudden. Niemi had a good start to start the year, Elon, and you told me how brilliant I was for drafting <laughs> the right Dallas Stars goalie. It's going to be a seesaw all year long. I should have drafted Letton in to handcuff the Stars. I didn't, even though, you know, like they, they lost to Columbus. So, I, you know, I don't feel too bad about it yet. I expect Niemi to be in there soon. And even if Letton in still rattles off like some consistently average performances, the Stars seem committed to playing both of them rather evenly through the year. So I'm not too down on myself about it. But Kerry Letton has definitely played better than Antti Niemi so far, Elon. And if you had to pick a goalie today to play the rest 
of the NHL season, 76 more games or whoever, I wouldn't blame you if you're picking Kerry Lettinen. Right, okay. And like, really, I wouldn't want to have either of them, especially when Dallas can't score a goal against Columbus. So, by the way, Columbus, Sergey Bobrovsky, I think we've already mentioned him this episode, 935 save percentage so far in four games. So definitely an amazing start. Let's see if he can keep it up. Let's see if he could not get injured. That would be obviously part of the recipe of him putting together a nice season after he's had a couple of stinkers for the last couple of years. Brian, okay, another guy on a hot streak I wanted to mention because of course this happened because I dropped him last week in the couple and I badmouthed him a little bit on the show here. Nazem Kadri, of course, he went off for two goals and one assist in two games right after I dropped him. But you know what, Brian? I still don't regret it. Because yesterday, he had nothing and hardly any power play time. And to me, it's just too frustrating to own a guy like this. Like, I want someone who I could rely on. Like, Victor Rask, you know what? Like, he didn't have two goals and assists in his last two games, so I think he was close. But he's someone who I know is going to be on the top line. He's going to get his minutes. He's going to get his power play time. I don't know what's going on with Toronto, but Kadri is definitely not the guy they're leaning on. So, yeah, he had a nice stretch. But I could also see him going cold again for, like, three games in a row. The real hotness in Toronto, the guys who I don't expect to go cold, are Austin Matthews, and William Nylander just both have been so amazing. Like I said, they have so many shots on goal. Since we last talked, Nylander has five points and 13 shots in three games, and Matthews has four points and 14 shots in those three games. These guys have been amazing. Matthews, I guess we already gave a lot of credit to last week. Also, Nylander, we were talking about Marner and saying all three of them are equal. I think at this point, give me Nylander and Matthews over him, and I I have a feeling that people are going to get mad at me because isn't it pronounced Nylander, and I've been saying Nylander the whole time. But whatever, I want all those guys over Nassim Kadri, even though Kadri had that good week. It's almost too bad he wasn't drafted by the Islanders, and then he's. You just need to add like an IS in his name. So, I don't know. <laughs> doesn't. Sorry, uh, Kadri. He's hot and cold. Uh, good for fifty points by the end of the year if you want to ride the roller coaster. Uh, and I expect shots on goal to keep coming. But again, he has difficult assignments. Like he's asked to play against some of the other team's best players. And because of that, you know, some nights might be better than others for him offensively. Austin Matthews, he's actually ahead of, we talked about Jeff Skinner and his impressive shot counts. Matthews is seventh in the league right now with 22. So that's nice. He's also fifth in the league in shots on goal for 60 minutes. And you might think, well, you know, he's not playing that much. So that's not really a big deal. But he's second to only Leo Komarov in total time on ice on the Maple Leafs. So he's doing quite well for shooting both in rote ways and in rate stats. I actually saw a model today from Dom Lushishin. I'm going to just butcher his name. Uh, O-M-G-I-T-S-D-O-M-I on Twitter. Good follow. Check him out. His model had Austin Matthews cracking the top 10 in NHL scoring by the end of the season. That's actually just based on the eight points he scored in five games and seeing 17 minutes of night. So those are pretty good things to have on your back when, you know, somebody's predictive model is working. I think that's still maybe a bit of a stretch for what we can expect to see from Matthews. I'm really excited by everything that's happening in Toronto right now, though. And I agree, Elon, right now, it would be Matthews, Nylander, Marner in that order for me amongst Leafs rookies, even though at the start of the season, I wanted to try and be really cool and like a hockey hipster and say, Mitch Marner actually might be the one to lead Leafs rookies in scoring. I think I have to ditch that thought at this point already. Yeah, I like I like what Patty's saying here in the chat room. Bozak and Kadri, they're depth players now on the Leafs. They're not the guys you want to add. Other guys we were just talking about earlier, like Yakupov. No, I, okay, I won't go that far. But anyway, I'm just trying to make myself feel better because I, anyways, I won the, my matchup. So it doesn't matter. I don't have to feel too bad about dropping Kadri. I'm happy with who I have. <laughs> this isn't therapy. Let me move on. Another guy who we were worried about last week and then had an amazing week is Matt Duchesne. 
He had three goals and two assists in his last two games. So the buy low window is closed for now. We were worried about his slow start, especially because he was on a line with Gergarenko and Soderberg while Iginla was up with Landeskog and McKinnon. But hey, Duchesne doesn't care. He's putting up offense, maybe all on his own, or maybe these other guys are better than we're giving him credit for. But yeah, pretty great for Matt Duchesne. Elon, speak for yourself about being concerned for Matt Duchesne. Like, yeah, he played two games to start the year, or three games, and went without a point. Not a ton of shots, although, yeah, he had six shots in those first three games. Like, I wasn't down or or ditching him. Maybe you were. But the thing about Duchesne is that he is taking shots at a greater rate per 60 minutes than any other Av right now, including Nate McKinnon. So if you're high on McKinnon and his offensive opportunity, Duchesne has something to say about that. He has 14 shots in five games played. And I'm really into the effect that Duchesne might have on Grigorenko and Soderberg. They're both on my watch list just by virtue of being around a clicking Matt Duchesne. And hopefully in the near future, we might see Miko Rantanen playing on the right side of Duchesne. And that would obviously bode well for Rantanen. I like Duchesne for 60 points, upside for five or 10 more if all goes well. Though he's going to need at least 15 points with the men advantage to get close to those 70-point seasons he's had in the past. The Colorado depth chart is a little thicker now than it was in those 70-point seasons. So I don't know if he can get the necessary power play time on ice to get those 15 points. But that's what you're watching to see if he can truly have a transcendent season this year. Okay. And like, I guess Duchesne isn't someone you could really add in your leagues, but yeah, like you said, maybe watch Rantanen if he could play with him and they could click. Obviously that's someone who has some upside as well. Let's go to some roster moves, some interesting roster moves in the NHL that happened over the past week. I definitely have to mention Shea Theodore got called up by Anaheim. We all remember what he did last year when he got called up and moved right to the top power play and got a ton of power play points before getting sent back down. He's back again. Let the power play watch begin. Will Cam Fowler or Sammy Vatnin get bumped from PP1 in Anaheim to make room for Shea Theodore and you know I don't know if it should be Fowler because he has four points in five games two on the power play so far and apparently I'm seeing the chat room Cam Fowler with another power play goal just now as we speak and obviously Sammy Vatanen is Sammy Vatanen he has three points one on the power play in five games they've both been great but you have to assume Shea Theodore is going to get a chance at least on the second power play but maybe on the top power play at some point we've already been getting tweets since we retweeted this fact that Shea Theodore had been called up should I drop TJ Brody for Theodore? Should I drop Alex Edler for Theodore? Brian, Like, what are your thoughts on Shea Theodore? Should people be rushing to grab him or is he someone you can wait for? So I feel like I want to wait just because I don't know exactly what the plan is for Theodore. Like, I haven't seen anything to indicate what they're thinking is going to come out of this recall. Uh, I know last year he did get some power play specialist billing, which made him very exciting for the brief time that he was up with the big club, but it was brief time. I think the more important thing to do is if you're a Fowler or Vatanen owner, you need to figure out which guys might get bumped off that top unit. And with Fowler playing so well and, you know, the rumor that he's being shocked right now to make room for Lindholm, that makes me wonder if maybe Fowler is the one who gets to stay, which isn't overly concerning for Vatanen owners because he's still going to keep getting his points at even strength. So he does take a hit if he is off that top unit, but he's still fantasy relevant in my books. Interestingly, Elon, we heard today, or there was some news going around today that Lindholm is now being shopped around too. That's the first we've heard of it explicitly. I'm not sure. I can't remember what my source was though. So maybe everybody can check it themselves to see how reliable that report was. You mentioned Alex Edler, Elon, to decide if you should drop Alex Edler for Theodore. And I'm going to capitalize on that opportunity just to reference what's happening 
in Vancouver. It's not Alex Edler getting top power play time every game. It's actually Philip Larson. He has just about more than four and a half minutes of power play time on ice in four of his five games played so far, including over seven minutes of power play time against LA last night. The downside of all that is that he only picked up his first power play point in those seven minutes. He ended up with a pair of power play assists, but he's not doing a whole lot of much else like scoring even strength or putting up any significant peripherals. I feel like it's a waste of a power play quarterback spot. Like we were interested. Oh, Elon, I can't remember his name right now. It's an S-T-E-C-H name. The guy they sent down just just before the season started. Steckler, Stecken. Sure, go Stecken. Stelic, Stepek. Somebody in the chat, help me out here. I feel like he would be a much more interesting guy to watch. It's not like the Vancouver power play has a ton of firepower and like, you know, anybody can put up points on it. But seeing as how so many minutes have passed with so few points for Philip Larson there, I'd rather see Alex Edler there or that guy that I liked going into the season, whose name I'm going to look up right now. Okay, I think it was Stetchen, but obviously you'll look it up. Alex Edler, okay, yeah, only one goal in six games. I think he's someone I was a bit too high on going into the season. I thought that he would be the top power play guy and would, you know, kind of earn the job, get at least like a half point per game. But you know what? He still has been great for blocks. If you're in a league that counts blocks, he has 20 blocks in six games. So definitely making up for a lack of offense. But obviously, if he could get on that top power play as well, that would be gravy. So, you know, watch Alex Edler for if he could get back on the top power play. I wouldn't drop him just yet if your league counts blocks. And I guess since we're talking about Vancouver, Brian, let me jump ahead in my schedule here because I was going to say something about them. Where is it? Where is it? Well, it's that Louis Erickson has been moved off of the top line on Vancouver. He only had two assists in five games played, and that was enough. So now it's Sven Berchi who was playing with the Sedins on the top line. Erickson was playing with Horvat and Vertinen on line three. I think line three? Because line two has been Yannick Hansen, Marcus Granlund, and Brandon Sutter. Brandon Sutter, by the way, I'm just throwing out a bunch of names at you guys right now. Brandon Sutter, five points in five games and 17 shots on goal. So he's been fantastic while Erickson has done nothing. But okay, let me rein this in right now. Erickson, like, is he a bust? Should people like for kind of forget about him or not expect more than maybe a 40 point pace, which is even more than what he's putting up right now? Or is there still a chance for him? I guess he could always get back on that top line, but it's definitely not looking like it's going to be the magical season that a lot of people were expecting, at least not so far. I think you were mistaken to expect a magical season from Louis Erickson. He had a great year last year, 30 goals, 30 assists, pretty high shooting percentage, not like obscenely high, but still a little higher than it should have been. And so expecting him to repeat that coming from a more talented team to the Vancouver Canucks was asking a lot. Uh, And also he's another year older. My issue with him right now, he has five shots in five games played. So I wonder if he's deferring too much to like Daniel Sedin. And maybe it's a good thing that he is split up from Sedin. We saw the same thing with Verbata last year. Verbata's shot counts went nowhere. And, you know, they tried to find a place for him in the lineup, but there's nobody else to play with. Perhaps with guys like Bo Horvat being a year older and a year more experienced, maybe there's a little more opportunity in the rest of the Vancouver depth chart if Louis Erickson does end up there. I don't know what to make of it, though. If you drafted Erickson, I feel like there's probably a better guy available when you drafted him. So I'm sorry about that. The Canuck I am interested in, though, Brandon Sutter. He's actually doing really well as somebody who's taken a lot of heat over the last couple of years, especially since he arrived in Vancouver when they, you know, they sold the farm to get him and sold him very strongly and enthusiastically to the fan base. Uh, But this is the first time I'm seeing anything that really interests me for fantasy relevance. So he and 
Jake Vertanen are way ahead of any Canuck in putting shots on net right now, although Vertanen's only played twice. And Sutter has reasonable percentages early on for somebody who has the point totals that he does. So I actually don't mind him as someone to consider as a depth add. I have actually come very close if he was playing on a night where I had lineup space available, he would have been on my roster just for shots on goal alone. And then potential points are a bonus. Uh, Just keep in mind at the end of all this, every Canucks fantasy value is limited by virtue of being a Canuck. So, you know, don't rush out and grab Brandon Sutter, but he could be a surprisingly decent depth add at this point in the season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely someone to watch, especially with all those shots on goal. Sorry if you have Erickson. Hopefully he'll pick it up. He apparently has an assist today, a shorthanded assist. And speaking of what's happened today, and speaking of depth ads, maybe someone who's available to you, someone who we did tell you about also going into the season, someone not to overlook. Radim Verbata has two goals today for Arizona. They're losing three to two to the Rangers. And so I guess for that, our Demang watch, still another not great game for Demang so far, 870 save percentage. But Radim Verbata, Scoring goals, he was already doing well before, and he's keeping it up so far. So definitely look for him if he's available in free agency. The next guy I wanted to talk about, we were on roster moves, if you don't remember where we are on the agenda here. And Columbus sent down Oliver Bjorkstrand. He's a guy that I guess we got wrong because we were excited about him going into the season as someone who we thought would jump into the top six, top power play on Columbus and put up a lot of offense, just like he was doing in the preseason and just like he did in a short run last year. You know, he hasn't been a Zach Wierenski. He was playing on the fourth line with Boone Jenner and Lucas Sedlak, but was still on the top power play. But now he's gone, at least for now. Opens up a spot on the top power play. Yesterday, Sam Gagne took Bjorkstrand's spot both on the top power play and on the fourth line, unfortunately. But you may have heard a name that you wouldn't have expected in that whole rant being on the fourth line, Boone Jenner. Boone Jenner shouldn't be on the fourth line, should he? Only eight minutes of time on ice two games ago, 12 minutes last game, no power play time. Finally got his first point yesterday, assisting on Josh Anderson's goal. So like snoozer alert on Boone Jenner. I think a lot of people were hoping for like a 50-point season from him. Yeah, and especially in hits leagues, he had a lot of cachet in drafts. And, you know, he saw 16 and a half minutes of, per game of ice time last year. And he's seeing a couple minutes less now. And a lot of those couple minutes less are being taken out of his power play time. He's seeing near zero power play time on ice per game after seeing, you know, over two minutes on average per game last year. Hartnell and Josh Anderson are the only two guys averaging less ice time right now than Boone Jenner. Clearly, John Tortorella didn't draft either Scott Hartnell or Boone Jenner in his hits league. And even more likely, he's really mad at the guy who did draft Hartnell and Jenner in their hits league. Because we expect just at least 16, 15 minutes of ice for Jenner, in which if he's not putting up points, he's at least going to throw his body around, not even having the opportunity to do that right now. Not much choice if you happen to own Jenner and are wondering what to do with him. Like you could drop him for somebody and watch his ice time really closely. He could get snapped up by somebody else. I'd be happy to wait it out a little longer. Although again, it's John Tortorella and we never really quite know what he's planning on. Yeah, and would you wait if, let's say, Jonathan Marcheseau was in free agency? Then it becomes a tough... And we've mentioned so many players, so we're going to get a lot of tweets maybe now being like, should I drop Jenner for this guy or this guy? So be ready for that, Brian. Because obviously, yeah, hang on to him unless there's a really tempting option available for you in free agency. Radim Verbata, another name. Okay, what do I have next here? Oh yeah, one more roster thing. This is kind of irrelevant now. Nick Letty was injured and they called up Pulak and we thought Pulak was going to get a chance. He was on the top power play, but then Pulak got injured and he's like now out long-term with a broken foot and Letty's back. So everything's status quo. I saw something that Travis Hamanick was going to be the guy who gets to play on the top unit if Letty and Pulak are both out, which didn't actually come to fruition. 
But what about Johnny Boychuk? Despite being a fair bit behind Letty in power play time on ice, he leads all Islanders defensemen in points and shots. And if my iPhone notifications that I glanced at just before the show started can be trusted, he also got a point tonight. Let's go now to some line madness, I guess I'll call it. Like lines have really been shaken up and I'm really curious to get your thoughts on them. New Jersey trying anything they can to score goals. We all thought going into the season that Adam Henrique would be playing with Taylor Hall, but it wasn't happening. It was Travis Zajac getting that spot, and Henrique was playing with Palmieri and Camilleri. That's changed. It's been changed a whole lot. Henrique was finally announced to be on line one with Taylor Hall yesterday, but that changed quickly and ended up being Pavel Zasha playing with Hall. Henrique, though, did assist on Hall's OT goal yesterday, so who knows going into the next game. I know that a lot of people are really down on Adam Henrique after his slow start. He's been dropped in a couple of leagues, including he was dropped in your couple league, Brian, but then added you know, quickly the next day. Maybe he'll still get back on that top line with Taylor Hall and get things going. Is everyone on New Jersey a snoozer except for Taylor Hall at this point? No, I don't think so. Like you might think that nobody's scoring and so you can let them go and, you know, just forget about them. But keep in mind, New Jersey has only eight goals in five games played and they needed overtime to score one of them. Now that might seem like an argument against holding any New Jersey Devils. They're not scoring goals. They're not even scoring two goals per game on average, but they're also dead last in the league in shooting percentage. They're shooting just three and a half percent at even strength when you should expect, you know, maybe eight, nine percent, somewhere in there, five and a half percent in all situations, which is still low uh, bottom of the league in both those categories. Their power plays looked okay. You know, this is all even strength work with more time for everything to gel. Everything's going to work out. There's enough pieces there. Like, I'm surprised at how many fantasy-relevant devils there could be this year, especially since they added Parento. I'm actually steadfastly holding on to Camilleri in a couple of my leagues right now, just waiting for that big breakout to happen. I think it's coming. Uh, New Jersey just needs to get a little bit more puck luck on their side, figure out what's going wrong for them. And I think they will before long. So maybe, you know, you can feel like you can drop them for now if you want to cycle a spot, but keep them on your watch list because they are going to start scoring goals eventually. A lot of talented guys who are able to pick up points on those goals. So if you could have anyone on New Jersey, like who's your top guy after Taylor Hall? Well, it's certainly not Devontae Smith-Pelly. Okay. (laughs) I would probably say Adam Henrique. Or Michael Camilleri. You know, either of those guys could be just fine. P. Parento, too. There's a lot of relatively even options. Camilleri is only, you know, grouped with the rest because he likely does not get to play with Taylor Hall a whole lot. But I think he's probably the player with the second most upside amongst the whole group. All right. Actually, you know, I'll throw it out there. Both Henrik and uh, Camilleri are free agents in my Kakuffel division right now. So maybe my Ottawa competitors, I don't know, am I going to bid on them? Am I not? I guess you'll have to wait and see. So let's go to Calgary now. Christopher Stieg was supposed to be on line one in Calgary. That's what we talked about last week. That has changed quickly. Then Alex Chason got there for like a second. But yesterday it was Michael Froelich and he got an assist and has four points in six games. And I got to tell you, Brian, I kind of like Michael Froelich there on that top line. And once Godro and Monaghan take off, I could see that being a nice spot for Froelich. I kind of hope he could stick there so we could see what he could do in this nice situation. And by the way, this didn't hurt Christopher Stieg, who had two goals yesterday playing with Sam Bennett and Troy Brower. And I know you hate Troy Brower, but that seems like a pretty decent second line. Hate is a strong word. It's an okay second line. I just, you know, Troy Brower has a career high of 43 points. And this year there are people projecting him for 55 all of a sudden, you know, add his hits to the equation and you should draft him in the top 15. Anyway, 
you hear my frustration with Troy Brower. You know, I like him as a half point per game guy. He's fine that way with some peripherals. He's not the guy I'd love to have on Sam Bennett's wing for the best situation for Sam Bennett. Uh, but thank goodness for Stieg is on the other side doing things. And I, I, I imagine a lot of shuffling will come, Elon. I also like Michael Froelich a lot on that top line. I wonder if he sticks there because, well, so far nobody else has looked all that great there, including Monahan and Godro. Slow start for both of them. Yeah, that just means I think buy low if you can. Like Monahan especially hasn't been that great offensively. So if you could steal Monahan in your league, especially like a keeper league, might be a good opportunity to do so. I think he'll be just fine. Let's go now. One more team with crazy line combinations before we get to cold streaks to end the show. Uh, Nashville. And I don't know how much we can rely on this because, like I said, a few players were sick in the last game. But Victor Arvidsson was up on the top line playing with Johansson and Neil, and he had two goals, which is fantastic. And he now has four points in five games. Of course, the question is, will he stick? Also, Fiala had two goals from line two, playing with Forsberg and Ribeiro. So a couple of names that we don't hear very often. Do you think either of them have any fantasy relevance this year? I'm going to say maybe. It's really hard to come away with a lot of takeaways from that game because of all the regulars that were out of the lineup. I did mention Victor Arvidsson heading into the season as somebody who could step up on that top line and be there on the left side. So I don't know. It's still all up in the air. Like Kevin Fiala was on the top line for the first couple games of the year. Didn't do much. Uh, The guy I want to talk about though, UC Saros stopped 34 of 35 shots in his second NHL appearance. Throw a little cold water on that. The 21-year-old played once last year, stopped 20 of 23 shots for an 870 save percentage. Um, Maybe in a couple years, Rene's got three years left on his contract, including this one. It'd be great if Yusuf Saro could step in and keep doing the things that he did last night. And yeah, by the way, Brian, I'm seeing in the chat room something I should have mentioned when you were talking about Troy Brower. You know, another reason why he might do better this year is his power play time has been up. He's been on the top power play in the last game playing with Gojo and Monaghan. So that's something worth watching. But there's a reason that he hasn't been on the top power play unit wherever he's been. I mean, okay, it's pretty crowded in Washington as well as St. Louis. So I get it. Uh, but just plopping him in there will get him a couple points. I, I don't know that it's going to be the most successful gambit for the Flames. And I just want to say, Elon, he seems like a really great guy. Troy Brower seems like a, a solid guy all around. I don't want any of this this annoyance in fantasy terms to carry over. I know uh, when he moved from Washington to St. Louis, he had a lot of fans follow him there and maybe the same thing for Calgary. So a good guy, Troy Brower, but not a guy that I'm excited to own on my fantasy team. Maybe you should be excited to have him on your fantasy team. I've just, I'm, I'm a little, we've had so many questions about Troy Brower, and it goes back to like the apples and oranges thing we talked about at the start of last season. Like, are his peripherals enough to make up for a 5-10 point difference in the guy you're comparing him to? If yes, then take him. If not, then leave him be. Yeah, but the whole point, anyways, I don't want to spend too much time on Troy Brower, but I do want to have the last word and just say that he has four points in six games. So right now he's someone who's giving you hits and also some points and he's on the top power play. That's, I think, why we're talking about him, not just because he gives hits and nothing else. Anyways, we'll have to see what happens. He's not on the top line, but he's on the top power play. Let's go to some players on cold streaks. Got to ask about Tori Krug on Boston. No points so far in five games. What's going wrong with Tori Krug? Still on the top power play. 14 shots on goal isn't too bad. Almost three shots a game. He had off-season shoulder surgery. Is he still recovering? I don't think this has much to do with Tori Krug personally. I think it has more to do with Boston and more specifically their power play. They are two for 20 in the NHL in this young season. 24th in the league also in shots four per 60 and their shooting percentage is actually okay. So 
the solution would be to put more pucks on net and perhaps they'll be able to increase their 10% success rate to date. Uh, Krug leads Boston players in power play time on ice, but he's on the second even strength pairing behind the top pairing of Zdeno Chara and Brett Carlo. Tori Krug also has the worst on a shooting percentage of any Bruins defenseman, so expect that to go up. You know, if you ignore points, which I know sounds silly, but ignore points, put them aside. Krug has better offensive numbers than any Bruins D-man right now, so there's no danger of him being usurped and reason to believe that everything's going to come together just fine. Okay, well, that's good. I hope so. I actually drafted him a couple of leagues pretty high. And by the way, Brian, it's Brandon Carlo, but it's been a long show, so that's fine. Let's go. Oh, Brandon Carlo, by the way, someone I was going to mention, but I thought we were running out of time, but what the hell? Let's just mention Brandon Carlo. He's been great for blocks and getting a lot of ice time on the Bruins. So definitely someone to watch if you could use his peripherals and maybe he'll be able to do something at some point. I hear his nickname is Monty. Okay, I'm sure it's not. Okay, another defenseman who's been letting people down, TJ Brody, only one assist in six games played so far for Calgary. We've talked about him already a bit before. We thought he was ranked way too high on a lot of rankings, and I think that expectation is coming to fruition. Brian, would you drop TJ Brody for Zach Berensky? Absolutely. We warned you about TJ Brody in the offseason. His even-strength scoring was incredible last year, but also completely unsustainable. Uh, Two or three points for every six games he played would be reasonable to expect for him this year. If you're expecting three to four, forget it. I would actually consider him closer to two points for every six games than three points. And I'm using the numbers per six games because that's how much he's got in six games so far. So he has one assist in six games played. Maybe he should have another point, but like maybe two. But if you're really, really unhappy with what he's done, then I would say your expectations have been too high. Yeah, that's a bummer. I wasn't expecting much from him either, so we could feel smug right now. Watch him get a hat-trick next week like Mike Green did. But okay, let's go on to a couple of goalies who have been driving their owners absolutely bonkers. We have to talk about Brian Elliott on Calgary. We were just talking about Calgary. I probably should have... Oh, wait, we are talking about Calgary with TJ Brody. Oh, what a perfect segue. So yeah, Brian Elliott and Chad Johnson have both played three games. Like some starting goalie, right? Like everyone was expecting drafting Brian Elliott to get a whole bunch of starts. He's been basically sharing the net and he sucked. He has an 839 save percentage, zero wins. Should people give up on him at this point? Like there's like Jimmy Howard we talked about before, not playing as many games, but you know, Jimmy Howard has two games. Brian Elliott has three games. Jimmy Howard's been amazing. Brian Elliott's been crap. Right. So I'm trying to figure what your argument is because for Howard, I said he's been amazing. And so he's going to not keep that up because it's only two games. And my answer, you know, I really want it to be the same for Brian Elliott. I think that he's better than he's shown. I think Calgary certainly has some real issues to work out. I'm torn between the two Brian Elliott's that I've known as a hockey fan and fantasy player. I've known Brian Elliott as an Ottawa Senator who had some real great shows, but poor consistency overall, numbers kind of all over the place. And remember when he was traded to Colorado for Craig Anderson, he was awful in Colorado in that brief stint. And then you have the Brian Elliott on St. Louis, who, you know, you might've attributed his success to just being on a really great team, but his goals saved above average, his adjusted goal saves above average was actually pretty solid and put him in like the upper group of goalies in the league. So I don't know necessarily which Brian Elliott is showing up in Calgary right now. Like, I don't know if it's like, oh my goodness, he can't handle being the undisputed number one. And so this isn't going to go well. He's too inconsistent on the whole without a really good option to spell him in the meantime. But on the other hand, we saw some good goaltending in St. Louis I don't think that's going to poof and disappear. I like him as a buy low option right now. If you're seeking out 
a goalie. You need to get starts for your team. Uh, he might be a good guy to target. You shouldn't have to pay too much for him at this point. Maybe someone's given up on him and already added Chad Johnson. I think he's going to bounce back. I think he's going to be at least a league average goalie through the year, or he's going to follow the same fate as Jonas Hiller did when he arrived in Calgary. Or maybe he'll follow the same fate as Frederick Anderson has so far in Toronto, because he's another guy who's driven people crazy. And yeah, by the way, in the chat room here, Haymo Time is saying Elliot got off to a brutal start in St. Louis last year too. And I remember that because I remember that Jake Allen really stole the job and it looked like Elliot was going to be pretty much done. Then Allen got injured and Elliot was amazing. We all remember what happened. And now Elliot has such a high stock going into this season. Now he's super low. Maybe he could get back up again. So, okay. What about Frederick Anderson? He's also someone people are really excited about expecting a lot of games from. They've been getting the games from him. At least he's played four games, but only an 879 save percentage. Enroth hasn't been much better in his one game he played. Like, who's even better at this point between Anderson and Elliot? If you're saying you could buy low on Elliot, would you be doing that with Frederick Anderson? I can't even tell, like, which of these guys I even like better. And also, I feel like both of them are people I'd just be afraid to even start in any league that counts save percentage or goals against average. Yeah, it's a tough call between them. At the start of the season, I would have absolutely had Elliot ahead uh, at this point. Like, if they turn out to be equally talented goalies, you know, I think I lean ever so slightly towards the Toronto goalie just because I, I feel like they might have more resources to figure out whatever's happening in front of him. Like the Leafs, they made a big organizational investment in Anderson in the offseason based on, well, as far as we know, not a huge body of work, like 150 games, but they saw enough to offer, what was it, $5 million over five years. The thing is that Toronto can afford to work through these issues with Anderson like they're still in a rebuild kind of mindset so it's not the end of the world if he's really blowing it a lot at the start of the season like now is a good time for that to happen as opposed to two years from now and now there's time you know to work through these issues and figure out exactly what's wrong and take steps to fix it and I think that's what Anderson has going from in Toronto and anybody who owns Anderson is worried about Enroth stealing a lot of starts I think the better tack for the Leafs right now is to really, again, work through it with Anderson instead of just saying, oh, well, we have Jonas Enroth here, so we're just going to play him for the year and it'll be a lost season for Anderson. I don't think that's a decision the Leafs front office is going to make. It's nice that they have a decent backup option, though. I like Enroth more than I do Johnson. Um, So where am I with this, Elliot versus Anderson? I don't know, Elon. What do you say? Uh, Give me Frederick Anderson because I live in Toronto, so I could cheer for the Leafs. It'll be more fun. Okay. I think I'll take Frederick Anderson, too, even though I still have an inkling that Brian Elliott is a better NHL goalie. Yeah, so we're ready for the tweets now. Let us know who you're considering dropping Elliott for. He's still a starting goalie, though. So, you know, I wouldn't drop him for someone that's only going to play half the games, unless it's someone, you know, like Andre Vasilevsky, who's not going to play as many games, but you could really rely on him to be really good when he does play. That's worth something, especially if we're talking about your second or third goalie. Anyway, Brian, one last player before we end the show. Let's talk about Andrew Ladd on the Islanders. Going into this, he had zero points in five games played. I should probably check that because the Islanders just won 6-3 to three against Minnesota. And I'm checking the box score right now. Andrew Ladd, one assist! Woo! Andrew Ladd on the board. So maybe we don't have to talk about him anymore, but still, you know, and it was, by the way, a goal by John Tavares, assisted by Andrew Ladd and Josh Bailey, who I was going to say is on the top line. And that's not Bailey's only point of the game. This is real, like, live journalism here. I should be, like, the guy on SportsCenter, right, giving the updates. But, yeah, Bailey had two assists tonight. Great game for him. Also very good for John Tavares to have two goals and an assist. So he's finally getting on the board. I was worried about a lot of these Islanders guys knocking any points. Andrew Ladd, I guess, sure, he's on the top line playing with Tavares, who seems to finally be finding his touch 
So maybe you don't have to worry about him, but I don't know. Were you worried about Andrew Ladd? Would you still be worried about Andrew Ladd? And also maybe give your thoughts on Josh Bailey as a short-term pickup while he's there on the top line. Yeah, I'm worried about Andrew Ladd. It's really nice that if the Islanders score six goals, he's going to get an assist and two shots. I, you like, I, I'm still, you know, I think we've sold it enough that Ladd is not Kyle Lacposo. He's not as good. He's at a different part of his career. Uh, he now has 14 shots in six games played. So he's not back to that three shots on goal per game, Andrew Ladd. Uh, that we came to know and love in Winnipeg. And I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, John Tavares, by the way, if anybody's worried about him going into tonight, he had 17 shots and only one goal. Um, that's his usual shot pace. So I'm happy with it. And his shooting percentage will catch up. He's not just going to score one goal for every 17 shots that he takes. Elon, you asked about Josh Bailey too. He's there for now. You know, I hate predicting anything to do with line combos on the Islanders because of Jack Capuano. I just feel like Ladd is probably going to stay there because who else? Like Anders Lee, okay, Anthony Beauvillier, like the one I'm interested to see when he returns from injury, uh, Shane Prince. I'm curious to see if he gets a turn with Tavares as he did when he was acquired by the Islanders at the trade deadline last year. That would be a candidate to play with Tavares on the first line and usurp Lad's spot. But I mean, they've shown patience with Lad already. I don't know that it's about to run out. Yeah, and by the way, I should mention Brock Nelson going into today's game was on a five-game point streak at five points in five games. Nothing today. I'm sure we can expect that. Like, don't go crazy for Brock Nelson, but maybe another, like, depth add if your league is deep enough. Someone who could put up points every now and again. Looks like he was getting top power play time today. Looks like there was only one power play, though. But, hey, he was on it. That's good. And I have to mention one more player on the Islanders, Cal Clutterbuck. Obviously, we're not expecting lots of points from him, but he did have four points in five games going into today. I guess it's four points in six games now. But he also had 20 hits going into today. And I'm seeing he had another six hits today. So if your league counts hits, maybe you could even get a point or two out of Cal Clutterbuck. But obviously, he's really good if your league counts hits. Yes, I'm not going to add any more, Elon. This has been like a 100-minute episode. Epic episode. Like, epic in terms of, like, length. I'm using it in the classical sense. Okay, well, hopefully it was epic in terms of content, too. I guess you could tell us. Let us know. If you like the show, thank you so much for listening. You can let us know on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to hear from you. Also, you could ask us your fantasy hockey questions. We'll try to get back to you, give you some good advice, hopefully. Also, if you like the show and want to help us out, we would definitely love a five-star review on iTunes. That's the best way to keep us you know, having people know about us, you don't have to tell people in your league, obviously, because you don't want them to know your secrets, but give us a five-star review on iTunes anonymously. Make like 10 accounts. Give us 10 five-star review on iTunes. We definitely won't mind. Uh, we already mentioned that you can become a patron of the podcast. It helps us out a lot. A little bit of money could go a long way, but also you get some perks like joining the Facebook group, joining us for the Patreoncast on Tuesday. But all of that aside, let's cue that outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Korska Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantracks. Great job, Brian, as always. And we will catch you all live next week. Just go to keepingcarlson.com slash live at 8 p.m. on Sunday. Eastern Time. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. And keep on adding hashtag Team Wierenski. Bye, everyone. Can you add a whole team of Wierenski lovers? Add a whole team of Wierenski. You're going to win every week. Oh, man. Okay, bye.